I've entitled the message, Where is Your Faith? And this comes from the question that Jesus asks as we look at this account. And this is one of my favorites in the Gospels. It is when Jesus calms the storm that is on the sea. So let me read verses 8, chapter 8, verses 22 through 25. Now it happened on a certain day that he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, let us cross to the other side of the lake. And they launched out, but as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water, and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased. And there was a calm, but he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid and marveled, saying to one another, Who can this be? For he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. As I was preparing uh, for this message, I came across Rembrandt's famous painting, painted in 1633. It's called Christ in the Storm on the Sea of Galilee. And uh, uh, like I said, you know, this is one of my favorite accounts here. Uh, these might be difficult to see, but the, the top left picture is a picture of Israel. And I have a, a yellow arrow that draws to the Sea of Galilee, which is in the northern part of Israel. The picture under that is the Sea of Galilee, and you probably can't see, but it has some of the important cities right around the lake there. And then you have some, uh, I have two real pictures. And then there's this boat. It's a picture of the boat. There's writing there. I don't expect you to see that, but at least maybe you can see the kind of boat that they might have been on as they're crossing the sea. So this is the Sea of Galilee. They're crossing the sea, and there's this storm that comes up um, and threatens their lives. Now, there are two kinds of storms that come against uh, this part of the region of the world. Uh, this is, uh, I was, I was, as I was preparing, the Sea of Galilee is the lowest freshwater lake in the world. And then as you go down to the Dead Sea, that's the lowest body of water, and, but it's not fresh, it's salt water in the world. So this is pretty low in the earth. Uh, it's dry and arid for the most part. There are two kinds of, thunder, uh, two kinds of storms that they were prone to. Thunderstorms, the, which is uh, like the picture that Rembrandt painted is kind of a thunderstorm here with thick clouds and heavy rain and all of that. Um, but they don't get much rain in that part of the world. What most likely the kind of storm was a windstorm. And so the wind would come over the Golan Heights on the east and just sweep across the water. And sometimes those winds can get pretty violent. And this is probably the kind of storm that they're dealing with on the Sea of Galilee at this time. Now, in Luke, there's no context as to where they're coming from or where they're going. It just shows or depicts this account. They are to go across the lake. Jesus says, let us cross over to the other side of the lake. And so we can take away from that that really where they're coming from and where they're going is not important as what happens on the lake. And of course, Jesus is going to still this sea. Now, they're crossing the Sea of Galilee here, and it was so fierce that these seasoned Galilean fishermen feared for their lives. They, uh, Peter and John and some of the others, they fished on this lake regularly, and so it was not uncommon for them to experience storms. It was not uncommon for them to uh, have rough waters or to deal with rough waters. But if they are afraid for their lives, then this was really a serious storm that they had experienced here. And when Jesus is woken up and he stills the wind and the seas, he turns to them and he asks them this question, where is your faith? 
There is this expectation on the part of Jesus that they, his disciples, in the boat, even in the midst of the storm that was threatening their lives, they should have had faith. And so, where is your faith? That is the question that he asked them, and that is the question that we are confronted with this morning. So as we consider this passage, there are two main points that I want us to consider. And the first one is this. We're, asked, we're answering the question, where is your faith? And the encouragement or the exhortation is this. Have faith even when you are in danger. Have faith even when you are in danger. Now, this danger that the disciples were experiencing on the boat was not a perceived danger. It was not that, I mean, as far as made up. They, 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 they weren't blowing it out of proportion. This was, they were in real danger. They were taken on water. The wind was high. If something wasn't going to be done, they could have lost their lives. This was real danger that they were experiencing. And so as we consider this, as we consider Jesus' question, he says, where is your faith? Even in light of the fact that they were about to perish on this body of water in the midst of this storm. It was a real danger. But yet he expected them to have faith. And that really speaks to us because a lot of times it is in the midst of the danger that our faith is challenged. Now, a lot of times uh, we really don't have to face, it's not life or death. I mean, we face a lot of troubles and trials in our lives and they're not always life and death, although sometimes they are primarily, you know, from health issues. That's, that's kind of the primary life and death situations that we have to deal with. But uh, we might find ourselves in a situation where we are threatened. Our lives are in danger. Maybe if we were living in Ukraine, we wouldn't know where the next bomb was going to fall and whether or not, you know, we would live to see the next moment. And there would be a real life and death situation and, and our faith might be uh, exercised in that. But maybe we have some sickness or some illness, diabetes or cancer or heart disease. These are common and we all have to deal with them and we know loved ones that have to deal with them. And, and yet, in the midst of this real danger that might threaten us, we are confronted with the question of Jesus, where is your faith? Maybe we're not in danger and yet, you know, if, we're, if our lives are not in danger and we're just struggling with some of the hardships of life, even more so the question is pertinent to us, where is your faith? Maybe we have trouble with our relationships. Maybe we're having trouble at work. Maybe we're having trouble at school. Maybe we're having trouble because of some sinful choices that we make. Where is our faith? We have to come to Jesus even when we are in danger and we have to have faith. He is the one who can deliver us. And so we put our faith in him. There's an interesting passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. And I've never noticed this before until I was uh, preparing for this message. But Paul is speaking about the persecutions that he was experiencing in Asia. And if you read the Apostle Paul, he really went through some hardships, some persecution for his faith in Jesus and for his work in sharing the gospel with the world. And so he's talking about the persecution that he had in Asia and uh, while he's on his missionary journeys. And he says in this passage that he felt he had the sentence of death. He uses this phrase to describe um, where he thought he was. He had the sentence of death upon him. That always stands out to me because I remember my pastor, my, uh, when I was in Florida, the, the church where I met my wife, the pastor who married Christina and me, he, uh, when he got cancer... He used this phrase. He says, I have the sentence of death upon me. 
because he, was con he, he knew his time had come and that he was going to die because of it. And he got that phrase from here. Paul thought he was going to die. He had the sentence of death upon him. And then he says in the same passage, and I, we are burdened beyond measure, burdened beyond measure. And maybe we can relate when we consider that, that there is this heavy burden because of our troubles, that this burden is beyond measure. It, is, it sometimes feels it is too much for us to handle. You ever feel like that? This is just too much for me. I can't handle this. Burdened beyond measure. But then he expresses his faith in the Lord. Notice what he says here. Talking about God who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. And that just jumped out to me. If we consider our life and we consider what God has done for us in the past, he has delivered us. Amen? Praise the Lord. He has done it. And then here we are right now in the midst of our current troubles and situations. And what is he doing? He is currently delivering us. And tomorrow, what can we expect? He will still deliver us. Praise the Lord. What an encouragement and an exhortation that comes to us. Where is your faith? He is the deliverer, past, present, currently, and in the future. So where is our faith? Let us have faith in Him even when we are in real danger. Why? Because He is with us and He is able to deliver us. Praise be to the Lord. The second point this morning is this. Have faith even when God sleeps. What? God sleeps? When does God sleep? Well, He was sleeping on the boat, that's for sure. Maybe that was the only nap He ever took in history. But uh, there you have it. The disciples, they're on the boat. Here, let's, let's read in verse 23. They sailed. As they sailed, he, Jesus, fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Now, they have done everything. Like I said, they were, uh, some of them were seasoned fishermen, and so they're on the boat, and they're doing everything that they know how to do. And uh, nothing that they have done in the past was able to uh, give them a measure of, of safety that they were not going to perish here. And so then they go to Jesus, who's still sleeping, and they arouse him. So Jesus is sleeping in the midst of this horrible storm. Now, maybe the disciples had a little backwards, you know, do everything you can, then go to Jesus. This is kind of what we do in our prayer life. We do everything that we can then when it's just too much for us. We go and we pray and we cry out to God for his help. When in reality, you know, there should be this constant relationship that we have with Jesus. And so when the storm comes, we're already, you know, talking with him about uh, what's going on. But anyway, this is just kind of human nature. We just go along until you, uh, you know, hurt yourself or you're diagnosed with that thing. And then all of a sudden you become serious in your relationship and you cry out to God. And that's okay too. This is what the disciples are doing here. Jesus is asleep. Now, Jesus is asleep even through the part where they're fearing for their lives and they feel that they're perishing. Jesus is asleep, unaffected by the storm. Jesus was sleeping, unaffected by their peril. And sometimes I think we, in the middle of our storm, we turn to the Lord and it seems like he is sleeping. Why does it seem like he is sleeping? Because we pray and we cry out to him and nothing happens. Nothing changes. We're still in peril. 
We pray and we pray and we fast and we pray and we're still in peril. Where is God? Why doesn't he answer? Why is nothing changing in my life? It seems like he is sleeping. Now, this is not an uncommon uh, expression for people to make. We can just turn to some passages. I'm going to turn to the Psalms here. We can look at the Psalms and we can see this uh, perceived idea that God is sleeping. Psalm 22.2 says, Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. In Psalm 83.1 says, Do not keep silent, O God. Do not hold your peace and do not be still, O God. Psalm 109 verse 1. Do not keep silent, O God, of my praise. This is why I love the Psalms. If uh, you, can just, you don't have to read very far in the Psalms before you find some kind of expression of what you are feeling and going through at the time. It, it just, the book of Psalms just covers the whole range of human emotion, despair and joy and rejoicing and, and sadness and wonder and questioning. It's all there in the Psalms. Just go there and start reading and it won't be long before you come across a psalm that expresses how you're feeling. And so here we find these expressions of prayer to God, but it seems like he is silent. He is sleeping. He is not answering. Where is he? Why is he silent? I'm freaking out, and he's silent. Why? Well, maybe because God knows there's nothing to freak out about. I'm the one freaking out, but he knows what's going on exactly. And so we don't need to worry. Is he really sleeping? Is he really unaware of what is going on? Well, of course not. He is sovereign. He is in control. He knows exactly what is happening. We never need to fear when we are in his arms, no matter what it appears like to us. And so even when it seems like God is asleep, do not fear. Have faith in God. So have faith in God even when you're in danger. Have faith in God even while he's sleeping. Now, what does it mean to have faith? From our passage here, there are three things that I want us to uh, draw out from this. So what does it mean to have faith? Jesus asks the question, where is your faith? So where is our faith? Where should we place our faith? How or why or how can we have faith in him in the midst of our storm? Well, the first thing that we can do is this. We can trust him as he is leading us. We can trust in God's leading. So where is our faith? We are trusting in God's leading. Notice it says in verse 22 that they got into the boat. Jesus got into the boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us cross over to the other side of the lake. Jesus is the one who has given them the instructions. Jesus is the one who knows that this storm is going to come, who knows that this peril is going to fall upon the disciples. He is the one who has instructed them to get in the boat and to cross the lake. This is an exercise of faith. And so we can trust, no matter where we are in our lives, it is not a surprise to God. Nor are we here by accident. We are where we are, going through what we're going through at the hand of God. He is right there with us. It is not a surprise to him. It is not by accident. God has a purpose for it, and he will be glorified in the end no matter what. So let us trust 
in his leading. If he has brought us to the edge of the storm and he has brought us into the midst of the storm, let us trust that he has got a purpose for us in it. I love uh, this verse. You probably have come across it at some point. Some of you may have it on a little uh, picture thing or on a plaque or something in your house. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. And this is the point. He is directing our paths. We are putting our hope in him. We are putting our trust in him. We are putting our faith in him and he is directing our paths. We need not be afraid of the storm. He, has, uh, he knows all about the storm, and he has power over the storm. We need not be afraid. Trust in God's leading. Our second lesson about faith this morning is this. First, trust in God's leading. Second, trust in God's love. He was there with them in the boat, right? Nothing's going to happen to him. I love the stories where uh, the accounts where... They get so mad at Jesus in one particular place that the, the mob, they try to mob him and grab him and take him to the edge of the hill in order to throw him over, right? So he allows them to grab him and drag him and take him to the edge of the cliff. And just as they're about to throw him over, it's like all of a sudden his body just had all of this oil on it and he just, they just, he just slipped through their hands, right, and walked away, right? You remember that? He allowed them to grab him. He allowed them to drag him to the edge of the hill. And that was as far as it was going to go. He just walked away at that point. Because it was not his time. Nor was it his time when he was in the boat here. So he was with them in the boat. And there is a certain indestructibility that the Christian possesses. We are here to do the work that he has called us to do. And when that work is done, then we will go home to be with him. Right? We are invincible, men and women of steel, or something like that. But that's an encouragement. That is a hope that he is with us, and we are here to serve him, and we will do so until our time has come, and then we will go to be with him, which is better. So trust in his love. After all, he's in the boat with his disciples, whom he loved, whom he chose, they are his disciples. They are his. He's not with the crowds. He's with his disciples. He loved them. He cared for them. And uh, when they wake him and they arouse him because they're perishing, he challenges them for their lack of faith. But he still calms the storm, doesn't he? He doesn't say, oh, you disciples, you should have more faith than this. I mean, don't you know that everything is okay and that I have control over all of this? What? what? I'm just going to let it go for a little, just so you guys realize, you know, you should have, be, you, you should have more faith. I'm going to let you swallow a little water. Maybe I'll let the boat sink a little bit more, and then, you know, maybe I'll stop it. Um, I, I like, I, I always like this with respect to uh, Peter, you know, how on another storm on the lake there, he's walking on the water, he's going to walk past them, Peter sees them. He says, if it's really you, then tell me to come walking on the water. And so Jesus says, come on. Peter gets out of the boat, takes a couple of steps, then he looks at, sees the waves, and he starts to sink. And just before he goes under, Jesus, save me! And Jesus grabs him and lifts him up, and they go back into the boat. And I like that because, you know, if it was me, if I was Jesus and, 
And uh, this happened to Peter. I just kind of let Peter go under a couple of times. And maybe I just kind of contribute to his dunking because he's not having faith. You know, he should be having more faith than he's having. Just let him feel the pain a little bit. You know, you should do better trusting. But, you know, he loves us. God's not like that. And there does come a point where even though we're not exhibiting faith, he's not going to let us drown. We are his children. And he might have a lesson for us to learn and he might allow things to go on a little bit longer, but he's not going to let us be destroyed by it. We are his, and he loves us. And so let us have faith in him because of that. Let us not be afraid, even though we are challenged. They did not have faith. They thought they were going to die. He, he confronts them for their lack of faith, but he still causes the storm to cease. What a great God that we have. We are his children and he cares for us. I'm going to look at a, several passages here. These are real encouraging or they were to me anyways, but the first one is that we are his special people. We're special to him. He, he does care for us. First Peter 2, 9. There, there are so many verses I could turn to, but here's just one of them. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. I mean, any one of those phrases there reflects our our closeness to him, that we are dear to him. We are his own special people. In order that we may proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Well, what a great passage of scripture. This uh, shares his love for us, and it also shares our purpose for living for him. It's a great passage of scripture. Another passage, Isaiah 54, 11, and, and here is one that depicts the way that God can change the situation that we find ourselves in. So, oh, you afflicted one, tossed with tempest and not comfort, behold, I will lay your stones with colorful, I lost my place, with colorful gems. I will lay your stones with colorful gems and lay your foundation with sapphires. So God is the first bedazzler. Is that, is that the right phrase? God is the first bedazzler. There it is right there, Isaiah 54, 11, Using colorful gems <laughs> and sapphires. He takes what is plain and nothing and basic, and he turns it into something beautiful. And that's the point. He takes us in the midst of our affliction, in the midst of being tossed by the tempest and not comforted. He takes that and he makes it beautiful. Here's another passage, and this is a little clearer maybe. Isaiah 51, 3, For the Lord will comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places. He will make her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in it. Thanksgiving and the voice of melody. What a great passage there. So he takes the desert, he takes the wilderness, he takes the, the dryness, the, the despair, the, the trouble, he takes that and he turns it into a luscious, great, green, beautiful place. That's what the Lord can do. And so let us trust in his love. And thirdly, trust in God's nature. Trust in God's nature. So we see in this passage that Jesus obviously has the strength enough to rebuke the wind and the storm in order to cause it to cease. 
He displays this amazing strength over the forces of nature. And so let us trust in his nature. Let us trust in his strength. He is strong. Jesus also displays authority. It is by his word that he is able to to still the raging storm. He has the authority to speak and to command and to have it obey him. This rings back all the way to Genesis 1 and all through Scripture. Every time God opens his mouth to speak, his word will not return void to him. And so in the beginning, when God said, let there be light, from that moment all the way through this moment, the spoken word of Jesus Christ has the authority to accomplish what is said. Be still, and it is still. And so let us trust in his authority. Let us also trust in the fact that he displays mercy and patience and grace and goodness and kindness and love. All of these qualities, all of these characteristics of God. Because God is merciful and patient and gracious and good and kind and loving towards us as imperfect as we are, right? It is not that we have to become perfect first before God does anything or something. It is that he does something because it is his nature to do that. He loves us. He is merciful. He is patient. He is good and kind and loving. And he does these great things even though we don't deserve them. They had no faith. He delivered them anyways. So here are our lessons about faith. Trust in God's leading. Trust in God's love and trust in God's nature. We can trust in him. One final thing I want to talk about this morning is this, the gospel in the storm. And we look at this episode, this this account of Jesus in the storm with the disciples, and there are some truths about life and about people that we can take to heart here. First of all, people are in danger. People are in danger all people, every one of us, when we were born, we were born with a sinful nature, and we were headed to destruction. Like the disciples were ready to perish because of the storm, so each person perishes because of the sin in their lives. It is a real threat. It is imminent. In John chapter 8, verse 24, it says, therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. That is the sentence of death that hangs over the head of every person that is born into this world. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. It is the sentence of death that hangs over the head of every sinner. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The threat of sin in the life of every person that is born is real. Every person stands on the precipice of perishing because of their sin. The threat is real. Trust him today. Will you not trust him today? Not only do we have this real threat in our in in life, but we have been brought to the end of ourselves because of it. There is nothing that we can do to deliver ourselves from the prospect of sin. Just like the disciples, he brought them to the lake. He told them to cross, but there was nothing that they could do to save themselves from this storm. And so in 
this world, our nature, because of sin, brings us to the brink of death and destruction. We were by nature the children of wrath. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3. And then it says in verse 12, a little bit later, it says that at that time you were without Christ, having no hope and without God in the world. If you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus, this is you, a child of wrath, no hope in this world without him. Will you not come to the foot of the cross? Will you not have faith in Jesus this morning? And thirdly, he is able to deliver. Yes, there is the sentence of death because of sin. Yes, we have been brought to the edge of ourselves. But thirdly, he is able to deliver. And that is the whole point of his coming to this earth and dying on the cross. He died and he arose to conquer that sin and that death. And he rose again from the dead as the victor. Ephesians chapter 2 again in verses 4 and 5 says, God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Will you not turn to Jesus this morning and allow him to save you from your sins? Ephesians chapter 2 verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of of Christ. He has brought us close to him. Praise be to God for the blood that was shed on the cross. Will you not trust in him today? And 1 Corinthians 15 verses 56 and 57, the sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Trust in him this morning. Believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins and you will have eternal life.